wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Backchat, exploring the five pillars of health with Dr. Paul Bergamo and Dr. Anthony Coxon. Welcome to Backchat. My name is Paul Bergamo and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Backchat is about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in neurology. Today's Backchat podcast will cover the pillar of moving. Tell me, as always, it's a great pleasure to introduce my fellow chiropractic co-host, Anthony Coxon. Hi, Anthony. How are you going? Paul Bagama, I'm very well. And yourself? Very good, thank you. So, what have we got tonight? Well, pelvic floor uh, this time, which is, as chiropractors, we deal a lot in this area, and it's an extremely uh, common uh, problem with both with women who have incontinence, with men who have had uh, prostate issues, and just as, a, as an important aspect in core stability, everyone sort of thinks about, yes, draw your tummy in and that, but often people forget about the pelvic floor and how important that is. And you think about the core, you know, we talk about the core and we focus a lot on the back, but do we focus a lot on the base of that core? And I think tonight's going to be really interesting to... You're an expert who actually does a lot, has done some postgraduate work in the area. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let's so with that, go. Without further ado, let's introduce Vash. So Vash is a musculoskeletal physiotherapist who completed a bachelor degree at Monash University in 2013 and is currently completing a postgraduate studies in pelvic floor physiotherapy at the University of Melbourne. Works in the Back in Motion Montana South group, where her main focus is women's health and pre- and post-pregnancy related issues. She also has a keen interest in clinical Pilates and currently runs daily Pilates classes for individuals and also in group settings. Hi, Varsha. How are you going? Good, thank you. How are you going, guys? We're going great, Varsha. Thank you so much for being on Backchat. Um, Let me ask, and I know Paul sort of touched on this a little bit in your uh, bio just there, but what's the difference between a a physiotherapist, I guess a a regular physiotherapist, and the type of physiotherapist that you are doing the work in pelvic floor? Yep. Um, So a regular physiotherapist is one that um, graduates university from the Bachelor of Physiotherapy. Um, However, a pelvic floor physiotherapist goes back into uni to do some postgraduate studies. So whether it be a course in the pelvic floor or some masters in women's health um, to be qualified as a pelvic floor physio. So you've gone for the pelvic floor sort of route. What what made you decide that, oh, this is an area that's uh, really going to be interesting to me or valuable for for my patients? Um, I think working in the area of physiotherapy in general for quite a while has given me some experience in different types of areas, but um, women's health and the pelvic floor was really interesting to me just from working a lot with women um, and also taking those clinical Pilates, as you mentioned. Um, you know, women always have these kind of issues pre and post pregnancy. They're always worried about the pelvic floor, and it was something that I just came across reading about it and wanting to do more on it, and I think I just got interested in it. Yeah. Fantastic. So, the, so, so the, the terms urinary incontinence. Yep. For our lay listeners on back check, could you explain what what that's about, Vasha? For sure. Um, so, urinary incontinence is it's actually uncontrolled urine leakage from the bladder. So, it occurs when people are unaware of the leakage, um, making it an accidental loss of urine, and it affect it, it affects approximately four point eight million Australians. Um, so making it a very widespread issue that people are dealing with on a daily basis. Um, incontinence can affect and increase other issues such as mental and their physical well-being because people with incontinence tend to decrease their social activity um, due to the anxiety of losing 
control whilst out. So they tend to avoid these activities that reproduce their symptoms. So it becomes quite a big, bigger issue than just incontinence itself. Anthony, I've already learned something. 4.8 million. I mean, what's, what, have you checked? All, have you done your census yet? Oh, I did actually, just yeah, late, mind you. Oh, but, okay. uh, but yes, I, I did get in. 4.8 million, that's a lot of people. I mean, what's our population running at nowadays? It's 22, 23 million or so? Yeah, they're, they're about. So that's a huge. Now, so we're not, I mean, they're obviously, um, you know, this is a, a significant problem that affects a, a lot of people. What we will hear, uh, you know, I've certainly heard many, in many cases of people saying, you know, you laugh, you sneeze, uh, and especially for, women who have um, had multiple uh, uh, pregnancies or multiple, multiple births, I should say, I should say, and that they say, and that there's, and that there's issues women much more than men, and at what age do you typically uh, see issues with urinary incontinence? So it definitely affects, I would say, more women than men, but not, you know, not completely disregarding men completely because it does affect them, especially after having surgery such as prostatectomies. It's very common after that. Um, but particularly women, um, whilst they're pregnant, because of the pressure being placed on the bladder from the baby and after pregnancy as well because of the long-standing pressure, it causes weakness in your muscles um, and leads to, to issues such as incontinence. Um, so other other areas or other factors such as menopause, obesity and surgeries, um, so like hysterectomies in women as well, and past histories of urinary tract infections, those are the type of people that are more at risk of incontinence. So Vash, you mentioned prost- prostatectomies and that's involved in the prostate. So what, what, what sort of procedures are we talking here just for our latencies there? Yeah, so that can be removal of the prostate um, due to things like cancer and things like that. Um, so removal of the prostate, because it sits so close to the bladder as well, can cause some issues um, with incontinence. So the typical signs and symptoms, I mean, is it is it um, will women or, or, or men notice pro- problems and issues with their pelvic floor before they start to get problems with incontinence uh, or is, it, is incontinence usually the first sign? Probably incontinence is the main sign because most people don't even know that they have muscles um, that control continence. So Indeed. I think incontinence is the first sign. And then to get it checked by someone is the next step um, to see what's causing it. And when you're seeing uh, people with these sort of issues, are they usually already been referred to you from a GP or from another specialist? I guess what I'm getting to uh, here is it is it purely a mechanical issue, a muscle needs strengthening, or do you have to go through and consider differential diagnoses that might be also causing these sorts of problems? So definitely, if people come off, you know, off the street and have this issue, I definitely have to go through whether or not it is the pelvic floor or or is it something else that can be causing the issue. Um, So going through a a correct examination of the muscles that are related to the pelvic floor is important first. And if that's not the issue, then I have to refer back to to other health professionals that are more um, capable of dealing with with that. Okay, and you, I think you mentioned the pelvic floor muscles. So, can you just explain to us what the composition of those pelvic floor muscles are and what they're about, Varsha? Sure. Um, so, the pelvic floor muscles are actually a sling of muscles that sit underneath your organs, so your pelvic organs. So, they, it comes from the pubic bone at the front um, to the coccyx or the tailbone at the back, and their function is to hold and support all the organs inside of your pelvis. And they're also responsible for contracting or tightening when you have to go to the toilet. So to hold on for as long as you can until you actually do reach the toilet. However, when the muscles are too weak, they can lose support 
and then incontinence can occur. So whether it be just a few drops of accidental loss or a lot of dampness, it's not normal. And it may be due to the loss of muscle function or strength in the pelvis itself. So your typical assessment for these people, okay, they, they, they've come through, maybe they've been to their GP, they don't have um, an infection or um, any uh, nasties there, it's purely just um, muscle weakness. What, what's your typical assessment involve? How do you decide this person, apart from what the obviously signs of incontinence, is there another objective way that you will measure their actual strength of their pelvic floor? Yeah, so definitely our main examinations comprise of three things. So a visual examination, so having a look at the pelvic floor muscles um, via ultrasound. So a real-time ultrasound machine can give us a good look at what the muscles are actually doing and if people are able to contract properly. So it's important to know that only 40% of people, um, I mean, sorry, 40% of people cannot contract their pelvic floor muscles correctly. Right. So that's 60%. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> Um, doing it correctly, which is which is quite big. Um, so ultrasound is one, and then internal assessments, which is the best way to have have feel of the muscles and see what they're doing. So this is obviously we're getting into very personal issues uh, here, and uh, and I guess as uh, uh, you know, as a physiotherapist who has a special interest in this area, or anyone dealing with this area, it's. Um, patients are likely to feel very uncomfortable uh, about this. Um, how do you go? about um, having these conversations or going through this process to try and make someone feel comfortable. I'm sure the fact that they're there in the first place, probably they've gotten over some, some degree of uh, trepidation, but, but clearly it's, you know, it's a personal area and it's uh, a, an area that people have troubles with. That's right, and I think um, giving people a good understanding of what the actual examination entails and where the muscles are because they're so deep inside, we have to actually, you know, do an internal vaginal or anal examination to feel the muscles. So giving them a good understanding first and then getting their acceptance or their willingness to participate is really important um, and then going ahead with the assessment and always making sure that they're comfortable throughout. Mm. Yeah. Varsha, I suppose empirically or even from evidence, checking the lumbar spine and its association with the pelvic floor, I mean, what does the, the literature say about any sort of connection between the two and or even just empirically from your observations? You know, have you found there's an increased incidence, for instance, of mechanical low back pain with pelvic floor problems or, or not necessarily? Mm. I think that's more related to sort of sexual dysfunction as well as pelvic floor pain. So a lot of people complain of both lower back pain as well as pelvic floor pain. Um, not so much in, in incontinence though. So those are two different areas. But definitely pelvic floor physiotherapists not only look at incontinence, we also do things such as pelvic floor pain, sexual related pain and muscle tension and things like that. So um, definitely a different subsection, but there is a big connection between the two. So, how do you do you with your uh, assessment again? Getting back to that, is there a, a, a an objective way of um, I guess monitoring their their, their improvements? Uh, obviously, you know a lot of it will come down to uh, your experience and and skill as a physiotherapist to be able to feel the tone um, in that muscle. But are there is there instrumentation? You mentioned about the. Um, uh, the, the ultrasound, are there other things as well that can use to, to measure muscle tone? 
Yeah, so there is a little biofeedback machine that we often use um, for patients who actually have trouble with strengthening their muscles or maintaining that tightening of the muscles. So they can take this home and they can have a look and see, you know, how much they are tightening, how much they're relaxing as well and um, how they're going and progressing throughout. And would you find that that's like the key to it is just about Firstly, getting their awareness of, okay, this is what it feels like when I contract my uh, pelvic floor and now I just have to do enough of it, either whether it's through biofeedback or just um, their own personal feedback to really retrain the muscle. Is that the the crux of uh, what needs to be done? That's right. So the the actual biofeedback machine will help give them feedback to say whether they're not they're doing it correctly at home. Whereas in the clinic, obviously we're doing the internal assessment, so we can then give them feedback to say, okay, breathe now, relax here. Whereas the biofeedback machine will be able to visually tell tell them whether or not they're they're tensing or relaxing um, the muscle. So which is great. And that's Paul very important because I, I don't know. I'm sure you've done uh, a lot of exercises and taught, shown a lot of different exercises to your patients over the years. When it comes to do anything with uh, pelvic floor or anything to do with uh, switching on their lower and deeper abdominals, straight away it's uh, hold, yeah. hold everything and mm. everything is contracting at once. So that's the real skill with, uh, with anything to do, I think, with core stability is just getting that isolation of contraction and still relax the shoulders, still breathe normally, but still get used to maintaining that deep muscle contraction. I imagine that's what some of the challenges you would have with educating patients as well. Definitely, and that's where you've got to make sure before giving the, um, patients any instrumentation to take home that they're getting the analogy right. So, you know, like you said, breathing, doing their pelvic floor muscles, not using their shoulders or any other muscles. It's very internal. So patients need to get the understanding first and then can take home these instruments to make sure that they're doing it correctly and to a big enough degree to make a difference. Um, so very interesting with that. And look, Anthony, I don't know what your experience is, but when you're trying to get that localized motor control, men just do it very poorly, don't they? Have you seen? Have you seen? Have you seen any, I mean, you, you do it once, you show a coordinated local motor control, the and and they're just moving everything from their toes to their head, aren't they? Whereas females tend to be a little bit more supple, a bit more subtle with it all. Yeah, yeah, I look. Is it just I, me? Yeah, uh, no, no. I look. Um, as a male, I'm reluctantly going to agree with you, but uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I, I'd say there is some truth to what you said there. What, what do you think, Varsha? I mean, you've got more experience with this. Have you, have you had to sort of hold it together when you've tried to show this to a male? And they've, and they've really it's such a just... big generalisation, but you're absolutely right. Men tend to take a bit longer, and often men say, "What? I didn't know I even had a pelvic floor." That's... So we have to go back to basics. That's right. <laughs> floor? I mean, I'm standing on the floor, aren't I? Is that what we're talking about? Oh, pelvic floor, right? Yeah, and I think also yeah, with blokes, it's a different thing because um, even if they have heard of the word pelvic floor, they don't, certainly don't associate that's anything to do with them. You know, that's a that's a that's, that's right. a girl's problem. That's not right. My problem. That's right. Um, that's right. T- tell me, Vasha, is there little cues that when you're instructing on contracting pelvic floor? I, I I've sort of used different analogies with patients uh, that some have worked better for uh, than others. But is there like do you say things like? Uh, you know, imagine you've got a, a belly button there and you're just drawing it in or what sort of, you know, cues do you give people to help make it easier for them? Yeah, so very different for men 
versus women again. So with men, we often use the term nuts to guts, so drawing their nuts into their guts yeah, and getting right, a yeah, cold. Like, That's a great one for the men. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I'm, really... I'm going to borrow that. That's fantastic. Well, for starters, it lightens the mood a little bit, That's doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. Or, um, you know, drawing, drawing the penis away from some cold water, so drawing it in, which is okay. another good one. Okay. Another one that we can relate to, I'd say. Uh, I'll go with nuts to the guts. Nuts to the guts. No, that's okay. That's good. Any others? Um, For women, it's totally different. So you've got to go with a softer approach, I think. So just closing the vagina or trying to hold a wee in is is a really good one Um, because, again, you don't want those accessory muscles where they're deep breathing and controlling everything and contracting everything. So really nice, gentle movements. I think it goes in line with the classiness, doesn't it? You know, like nuts to the guts for the boys, whereas for the females, it's like that's that's (laughs) refined. It's a little bit more so. Exactly. No, very good. So, look, Vash, you've talked a lot about, you know, with the assessments and what, what are the things you look for, but what about some of the things that you can actually do to help with the incontinence? What's some, what's some advice there? Yep. Um, so, definitely, like we talked about, if the pelvic floor muscles are weak, there's going to be some incontinence issues. So, it, once that is diagnosed, we can then start developing an exercise program. So, whether it be strengthening the pelvic floor muscles, um, giving them some endurance exercises. So, how long can you hold your muscles for, um, which can inter- be interpreted as how long can you hold your wee for, you know, before you have to really bust in to go to the toilet. Um, so, strength, endurance, and coordination of the muscles. So, up uh, are you contracting and are you relaxing the muscle enough? Because not relaxing is also another big issue and can cause some troubles when you do actually get to the toilet and actually have to, to, to urinate. You know, you have to relax the pelvic floor muscles for that to happen. Um, so really teaching those, those contractions and relaxations. And the idea of endurance is really important, isn't it? Because they, these are postural muscles. They're not muscles that are necessarily designed to have ballistic Sharp, yeah. strong contractions. These are things that's supposed to be switched on and maintained tonically in an upright uh, position against gra- uh, gravity. Uh, yeah, uh, so, so that, that's one of the things that I find with all the course of stuff I do. I always talk about hold the contraction longer. Think about you're holding it the longer than you really need to because it's endurance more so than just strength that is the, the real key. That's right. So um, you mentioned that sometimes, uh, obviously, the muscles can be tighter and can't relax. And, of course, if people, general public, think about muscles and think about problems with muscles, they probably think more tightness, stiffness more than than weakness. Um, How do you approach someone who has a a very tight pelvic floor and are they common compared to the weak pelvic floor? They're just as common as the weak pelvic floor, to be honest, um, but totally different treatment techniques because here you, it's actually harder to teach someone to relax their pelvic floor muscle than it is to, to tighten up. And I think a lot of it comes from mindfulness as well, so relaxing your whole body to then relax, um, teaching them some mindfulness techniques to, to relax the pelvic floor and um, open up is the word that we use for that one. Um, so very, very difficult, but we use techniques such as biofeedback again, which can teach patients to then relax as well. Excellent. So, so we've talked sort of from assessment, some treatment regimes. What about actual prevention? Uh-huh. Can you run through some tips for our back chat listeners on trying to prevent incontinence? I mean, Anthony's getting a bit older now, so <laughs> you, you get your I pen, Anthony. Get, get your yeah, pen, yeah, pen ready here. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can give you some tips um, to prevent incontinence. 
the biggest one is a healthy lifestyle and your diet are, what are two of the most important things to prevent incontinence. Um, so you want to be drinking enough fluids throughout the day. So for adults, it's recommended to be drinking six to eight cups of um, water per day unless you know, otherwise advised by your doctor, um, drinking less fizzy drinks, caffeine and alcohol, um, because these can irritate the bladder and actually make you have a feeling that you want to go more to the toilet. And lastly, general exercising and maintaining a healthy body mass index is very important to control your bladder. So it's not that extra pressure being placed in your bladder constantly throughout the day. Um, so which can weaken the bladder as well as the pelvic floor. And so just in terms of, um, you've talked a little bit about pre- uh, prevention there, just one thing I just want to go back to just quickly on the treatment side of things for those people who do have uh, incontinence, what's a, a typical trial of care? How long does that typically uh, go for? I know it's a, you know, how long is a piece of string type of question. <laughs> I was just, just going to say that. But, but just to give a sort of a, a rough estimate, if someone has some mild uh, incontinence and it is of a you know mechanical uh, uh, type nature. Would you expect that exercise would get them showing improvements within a week, a month, six months? Probably not a week. I think like any muscle in the body can take about twelve weeks to get the the best benefits of um, a training program. But I think being patient and consistent because. With pelvic floor muscle exercises, people can't actually see the muscles moving. It's not like a bicep curl where people go to the gym and they pump some iron to get stronger. You know, they're they're squeezing internally. You can't see it. You can only feel it. You can do it anywhere. And people tend to get quite slack. So you have to be consistent with it to get the results. So consistency is key. And for that 12 weeks, so uh, how much of that is – I'm doing my exercise at home. I'm not talking to me personally, by the way. Uh, oh, so I'm right, good sorry. there. Yep, um, but uh, but but it, how much of it, it requires um, you know the the practitioner working on the, the patient, or how much of it is uh, just uh, home care and following through their exercises? I think it's really dependent, like any other exercise program. You know, if the patient is quite understanding of the exercises, knows what they're doing, um, it can it can be that they're just coming to see me for some progressions and to make it a bit harder or, you know, incorporating it into their daily exercises, routines and Pilates, for example, is another thing that they can start incorporating that into. So it doesn't have to be very often, but doing the exercises at home correctly is probably the most important thing. And, and, of course, you do, in your treatments, you do, um, I suppose, some passive care as well. What sort of stuff, how, how does that work with your hands-on sort of treatment when you look at these um, scenarios? And imagine patients who are going through this would be probably questioning or curious to know what happens in the room as well. Can you sort of just broadly talk about what, what, what things you do or can do? And for the assessment or for the treatment? Probably more for the treatment, I suppose. Well, you can do both if you like, I mean, just to give it, just to give an impression. Yeah. Well, for the assessment, like I said, there's three options, um, but the best one is the internal vaginal, internal anal examination, um, just to have a feel of the pelvic floor muscles. So we will be, you know, just having a look to see whether the patient is contracting correctly without the deep breathing or the accessory muscles. And then um, the treatment goes on from there just to to individualise and the exercise program, yeah, yep. for each patient. Um, lots of hands off. It doesn't have to be internal all the time. And um, so once they get the correct techniques, it's just about incorporating it into daily program. Yes, it becomes really just a lifestyle. Type thing. That's correct. Yeah. Very good. Um, now, just in terms of, I know, um, as a registered health practitioner, as uh, uh, Paul and I are being chiropractors, there's limitations that we 
uh, have on um, in that even though we, Paul and I have done extra study and you've done extra study, we, uh, as a physiotherapist, you can't call yourself a, um, a specialist. Um, how does it work with you? Um, like how does someone know if they're seeing someone who's had additional training in this area and is, uh, and, and how do they go about finding people who um, uh, practice the sort of things that you do with pelvic floor? Yeah, so as you know, there are many local physiotherapists everywhere. Um, However, if you are suffering from pelvic floor issues such as incontinence, um, I've mentioned you want to find a pelvic floor physiotherapist. So we're trained in this area specifically to guide and improve the incontinence and pelvic floor-related issues. Um, So you want to find someone that has postgraduate um, certification in the pelvic floor or a Master's of Physiotherapy in Women's Health Physio. So we'll be known as Bachelor of Physio um, with postgraduate studies in the pelvic floor. So and just so it's a progression, isn't it? So you explained a little bit to us off air regards the progression from, say, what you're doing. Can you explain this? I think it's quite interesting, just uh, the, the units and just broadly speaking, the components... Sure. Um, So between the postgraduate study is it's a certificate, a certificate um, that comprises of just two subjects, so the pelvic floor and then advanced pelvic floor, and then to go on to do your masters, you'd want to complete another six subjects. So I've done two out of the eight, um, and. I think I'll be going back for more, actually. <laughs> I got a, I got a feeling she's going to become uh, do the master of the last year. Pretty, say that's that's uh, fait accompli. Just pretty about. determined. I can see that. It's fantastic. Uh, so, but anything else to mention? What else? Anything else that could be done? Regards everything you described. Any any add on advice there? Yeah, well, I think I wanted to just have a chat to you about the two types of incontinence that we, we didn't mention before. So it's important to recognize the types of incontinence um, because it's not normal and people need to, to actually have a, a good focus on that. So there are two main types of um, incontinence, so urine incontinence that is. Um, the first is known as urge incontinence. So this is where there is a strong urge to urinate and it can't be delayed or deferred. Um, so people find themselves rushing to the loo because they're busting to go and they can't hold on. And before they even reach the loo, there are some um, drops or even dampness in their underwear because of it. Um, and there are, a number, there are a number of causes of this one. Um, it could be the, the fluid or the food that people are eating or not eating. And as I mentioned before, research has shown that fizzy drinks and caffeine worsen these symptoms so of your urge incontinence. Um, so if this happens out of the blue, be sure to, to go and see a GP um, so that they can refer you on to the right people and, you know, clear out any other issues such as a UTI or urinary tract infection that could be present. Um, The other one is known as stress incontinence. And what this is, is leakage during activities. So I think um, we mentioned this one before with sneezing and coughing. It isn't normal again. So even if it's a drop, um, not very normal. So be careful of this one. Um, most commonly it's due to the pelvic floor muscles being weak. So come and see a a pelvic floor physio to to check and assess that first before making that assumption though. (laughs) Very good. I think it's a 
it's one of those the stress and consonance tests is uh, you know can you go through the whole comedy festival and not have any problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's assuming you've got a good act. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if, you've, yes. if you've got a pretty bad act, you D- might find dependent on the uh, on the comedian, of course. <laughs> on the performance, so, exactly. Sasha, one of the things that we like to do is uh, find out a little bit more uh, in depth information about um, our health experts. Uh, and thank you very much for sharing your insights today. But um, is there been a particular experience that you had a pivotal uh, moment or something like that that has led you into physiotherapy and in particular into uh, uh, your work with uh, pelvic floor? Yeah, um, you know, I've been working with women of all different ages and different periods of their lives and one of the biggest complaints that I kept hearing was that they had a loss of control of the bladder and how much it's impacting their lifestyle. Um, So I started to read and, you know, learn more from the senior staff in my clinic Um, and I realized that many women, including myself, you know, didn't know how to correctly contract their pelvic floor. Um, So... Then I started treating specific patients as well with incontinence and taught and taught them correct ways. And within a couple of sessions, you know, they com- they completely resolve. So if if it's diagnosed correctly, I think it's it's really good. Like the efficacy of physiotherapy for the pelvic floor is fantastic. Um, and I think this was the most rewarding experience in my career. So seeing people recover so quickly from such a such an impacting condition was really really um, pivotal, I would say. And that's what we want to do. You know, we want to provide optimal lifelong physical health for patients. It's it's a really good point, Marsha, raised because, I mean, you know, it it can lead – it's a very – well, I'm not trying to be rude, but it's an embarrassing condition. So, And psychologically, there can be overarching issues of anxiety and depression, I suppose, associated with it. So to be able to turn it around pretty quickly, Marsha, would be pretty – an amazing sort of feeling from a practitioner's sort of perspective. That's right. Fantastic. Now we just we just go through now. Just to, in, in concluding the, the the podcast here, can you just give our back chat listeners three take home messages, please? Sure. Um, so my first one would be that incontinence is a widespread issue. You know, um, it is embarrassing, like you mentioned, but it is widespread and it affects a number of Australians. So you're not alone. And if you do have it, you need to find help, and there is help out there um, for it. So if you have symptoms of incontinence, no matter how big or small, it is not normal. So get some help (laughs) is another one. And a pelvic floor trained physiotherapist can help assess and diagnose and then design a program to suit and help your symptoms. What do you think, Anthony? Mm, Very, very good. No, it's it's really important, I think, to get these issues uh, sorted out. And, you know, clearly there are many different Things that are that are important there in terms of lifestyle and diet and weight loss and uh, but just learning to contract that pelvic floor effectively that's that's the key. And you know, having this sort of, having a resource like this for practitioners, chiropractors, and uh, other practitioners to, to to know that out out there there are physiotherapists who have special training in this area uh, is is a great collaboration that we can certainly look to to build some links with as well. Thank you, Varsha. No worries, guys. Thank you so much. Varsha is a physiotherapist from Back in Motion, the Back in Motion Health Group in Wontern herself. And with a keen interest in clinical Pilates and women's health, she can be contacted via the website, which is www.backinmotion.com.au forward slash practice forward slash Wontern herself. Thank you for listening to Back Chat. To stay abreast with updates with Back Chat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Back Chat Podcast. 
all relevant website links for today's podcast will be in our Backchat Podcast Facebook page. If you like the show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you with one thought. Be the best at what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. Look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.